Welcome back to Inside the Pastor Study Podcast. I'm Pastor Jeremy. And I'm Pastor George. And this is take number three this morning because technical issues are fun. But we're here and uh, we are, we're back with you. We are a father and son pastoral team uh, serving local church in Methuen, Massachusetts, just north of Boston. And uh, we're glad you've tuned into the podcast. This uh, podcast is a, a chance for you to be the fly on the wall in our study, uh, to hear kind of hear what pastors chat about. Uh, throughout the course of the week. It's those things that we can't quite fit or insert into a sermon or a uh, Bible study conversation. Most of the time, these uh, ideas are theological in nature. And, you know, if you've been a part of the podcast uh, community for a while now, you know that most of our conversations here are theological in nature, but not all of them are. Sometimes, they, could, they could drift into yeah. Disney conversations. Or, yeah, 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 we missed that. That was the pre-show. We were just chatting about we the, were uh, about the new the new CEO new at, leadership uh, in Disney and yeah what yeah. that looks like so yeah, yeah it's interesting stuff yeah, yeah. Um, maybe we'll... I actually like the guy yeah. so that that's you know I'm kind of like the rare individual that uh, likes the new CEO at, yeah. uh, and it seems I, like I think you're in the that, minority there yeah. yeah yeah but maybe that's a good thing it feels like this is just a, this is just a me thing. You know, here's the deal. Thing. So but we're if, gonna I, get, we're, if I find myself in the minority in something in life, I feel like I might be on the right track. Maybe that's yeah. just that whole wide path, narrow, yeah. narrow path thing. Um, I just feel that way in life in general. Like if I'm in the minority, I might be onto something. Because that's like being Christians a Yankees are. fan in a Boston, right? Like I'm in the minority, yeah. and I might be on the right track. So um, that you now know what kind of stuff we deal with. <laughs> yeah, <it's> just, <clears> yeah, <throat> yeah. So there we go. So that's um, you know a little bit of a window into. You know some of the things we chat about through the week, but we want to. Um, we we we're glad you're in. We're glad you're here. And we're glad you're along for the ride. And uh, we have some interesting things to chat about here in a little bit. Um, but one of the things we want to kick off our episode with, as always, is a theological term of the week. The theological term of the week. And this week, that term is. Nestorianism. Uh, all right. So if you've been here for the last couple episodes, you know that we're hitting some of the, uh, the early church heresies. And I, I've, I've been really familiar with the last few, but you, know, you hit me with this one in the pre-show. I'm like, ooh, I've heard that term, but actually I'm not sure. So yeah, yeah. give me, what is Nestorianism? All right. So Nestorianism actually is a heresy that was identified and addressed at the Council of Chalcedon in 431. Oh, that's yes. those like big goblets you drink out of. No, it's a chalice. Oh. Chalcedon is okay. actually a town in uh, Turkey. Oh, all right. 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 So, you know, right next to Gizzard. Nice. Nice. If we had See. sound effects, the rim shot would go right in right, there. Right in there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So uh, Nestorius was a, uh, he was a, an Eastern church uh, bishop. Okay, is okay. this pre-schism then? It is pre-schism. Okay. Actually, it, it, what we're going to talk about eventually is the Nestorian schism, which oh, is interesting. Right. So it's pre-schism, uh, but you, you do have, so you already have three schools of thought by 400 AD. You already have three schools of thought in Christianity. Um, you have uh, an Eastern, an Eastern view, and that is pretty much. Uh, Syrian, Assyrian, Turkish, Persian, in, in its foundations, you have a uh, you have a an Egyptian view or um, the Alexandrian an view. Alexandrian view, and the Alexandrian view is the view that's going to eventually take control of much of much of the theology of uh, of 
the church. Is that because of Augustine, or is that other? No, it's it's earlier people. Okay. I mean, you have because um, I know like some of our best manuscripts come out of Alexandrian texts, right? Yeah. Right. So okay. I mean, it, you can begin with Origen, uh-huh. which ah, nice. nice. Yeah, yeah. Isn't another that another rim shot. Yeah, exactly. Who's, Except that one's real. That's it not is. a joke. He's real. He's, yeah. he's from about 200 um, AD, so, so pre, uh, pre-tolerance. Uh-huh. Um, o- Origen has his issues, and uh, you know, he has his, his theological heresies of sorts, too. Uh, but he kind of is, you know, he's foundational in the Alexandrian school of, of thought, and others, others grow up in that Alexandrian school. Okay. And then you, have, you basically have the Latin school, which is, of course, Roman thought. But Roman thought is actually very much influenced by the Alexandrian school. So uh, so you're already laying the groundwork for kind of like two, this eventually becomes two churches, right? Right, exactly, it does, right. Yeah, right. so you have the two that are more, have a lot in common, and then you have that, right. the Eastern Church. So, And interestingly enough, Nestorius is, is jumping all over something that will eventually lead to the Great Schism, and that is when we think about Mary... Is Mary the uh, is Mary the bearer of God, or the bearer of the Christ, or is he the bearer of G? Je- or she is the is she the bearer of Jesus? Hmm. Before we dig into this, I'm just realizing that we should probably define schism. Schiz- yeah, because that's a that's a tough word. Yeah. Yeah. It's it. Yeah, so a schism yeah. is basically just a, a, a split in the church, right? Yes, a huge split. Huge split. So we're not yep. just talking about, like, we're upset and we're moving across town. This is, like, fundamental brokenness We're not talking to you anymore. Yeah. Schism. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're going... It's, it's almost a declaration by each side that the other side is on their way you're to hell. You're a heretic and yeah. you're on your way to hell. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So schism, schism is a... Schism is a gulf. Yeah. Right? Okay. Um, not a crack. It's a not gulf. a crack. It's a gulf. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, yeah. So, so Nestorius is dealing with Mary, and is her the promised offspring? Right. What and, is the promised offspring, and what? And then, by extension, who is Mary because of the promised offspring? Is that where he's going? So we're go- let's 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 let me let me back up a bit. Okay. Okay. We all know the Apostles' Creed. We all know the Athanasian Creed, which are they overlap. There is that line in there that says. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Right. Right? So depending on how you bounce the Latin or the Greek, it makes it sound like it, the, the, word in, the word in Greek for born of the Virgin Mary is, is the concept of he was, you know, in other words, what did Mary bear? What, what was born of Mary? Mm-hmm. Right? Was Mary was Mary. Did Mary give birth to God? Mm-hmm. Did Mary give birth to the Christ? Mm-hmm. Which you're, I know some of you are scratching your head and saying, "Aren't those the same?" Aren't those the same? Yeah, you know. Or did Mary give birth to Jesus? That would be Arianism. Yeah, she gave birth to Jesus. She gave birth to this human, right? Who became, who became God? God which right? can't be, that can't be the answer, right? But then also giving birth to God can't really be the answer either if He's eternal. But it is, but it isn't. And so here's this big issue, right? And so Nestorius tries to solve the problem. And he says, what you have is that Mary gave birth to the Christ, who is a human 
wearing are a the god wearing the mask of a human. Mm. So, so now, now, now you have a problem. Yeah, because what you're saying is that there are two persons in that one person. Right. It's, like you have you have the person of God and you have the person of Jesus, this human being. Mm-hmm. And those two persons are active in this one human. Mm. And it's it's like comes from the idea of in Greek plays, mm-hmm. um, the Greek the Greek actors would often put a mask on to show what their emotions were mm-hmm. when they were acting. And you know we see that even to this day with the symbol for fine arts is you know the those two masks those two masks yeah. the laughing and cr- the the comedy and the comedy and tragedy masks. Mm-hmm. So you would wear you would change your mask to identify to the crowd what kind of emotion you are feeling in in your acting, which I think kind of says something about their acting. But <laughs> it, and aren't we? At, we're kind of getting in on, on Nestorianism when we're talking about acting, too. It's almost like he's saying this was God... Pretending to be human? Acting like a human. Yeah. To the point where you can't make the difference. You can't tell the difference between the two, right? Mm. You can't tell when they're acting when they're not acting. Mm-hmm. It, and, yeah. and people struggle with... I mean, that's something we struggle with, right? Because we... I mean... So one of my interesting story I heard... Remember... Um, when I was a kid, I grew up watching the Three Stooges, mm-hmm. and uh, um, interesting story is that their all of their slapstick comedy was very well planned and drilled out, and all. And um, the one the one actor's name is Curly. Mm-hmm. For those of you who aren't up on not Shemp, not Shemp. Yep, Mo, Larry, and Curly. And of course, Shemp was actually Shemp was actually Mo's brother, mm. but Curly was also Mo's brother. Mm-hmm. Larry was just. He was just along for the ride. He yeah. was a different guy. Just a buddy. Yep. So anyway, Curly, a lot of physical comedy, a lot of, a lot of, you know, um, t- he takes a lot of pain, mm-hmm. but he doesn't because it was all practiced and they all knew what they were doing. And it was, it was very well. The fellow who played Curly uh, walked into a hotel one day and one of the fan, a fan came up to him to greet him. By punching him in the stomach, which actually he broke a rib and and accidentally caused his spleen to leak, and he eventually dies. That sounds like Houdini too. Yes. Wow. Okay. Because the fan couldn't make the distinction between the actor and the person. Uh huh. All right. So Nestorius is using that argument in a sense. He's saying you have you have. Jesus, who is a, a human being who has God inside of him and God is acting mm. as a human. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't work. No, for I, I just think like, I'm stacking up the reasons. I'm trying to filter them as you're talking. Like, yeah, yeah. Because right? if God is acting, inherently God would be disingenuous, right? God right. would be a liar in right. a sense because he wouldn't be acting in his true self. He'd be pretending to be another thing. Exactly. Exactly. When Jesus doesn't isn't pretending to be anything, he he he, he doesn't is. Yeah. Yeah. He he totally is. And he, I guess we're going to introduce a second theological term this week and mm. that is uh, what we what we as a church and e- even the Catholic Church, the Evangelical Church, we embrace a concept for God called the hypostatic union. Mhm. 
which says that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man at the same time. And there's no way that you can define a God action from a human action. Mm-hmm. There's nothing... There's, there's nothing, no separating the there's two. There's no separating the two. You can't say, well, this is a human activity of God, and this is a, this is a spiritual activity, or a, you know, a God activity. Mm-hmm. You can't break that up in Jesus. Right. I could see where culturally this is a challenge, right? Because you're talking about a Greek culture, and they have this whole history of demigods, right? Like you've got yes. Hercules and others who are... Who, um, or is it in Achilles? Is Achilles a demigod? Um, and Hector, are they? So you have these these characters in Greek mythology, which is still the predominant culture, or Jesus, even into Jesus's day and and beyond, where you have these people who are you know the gods. Yes, and then you have these humans who have god qualities because they've been, um, you know, a god. A god was you know part of the process of their creation somehow, right? And so I can see where, with that background, the culture of the time would really struggle, and, and they would probably be reading in some of their Greek culture into um, who God is and who Jesus is because of their background, right? True, true. Yeah. But you had another aspect of this, okay, which is um, a, second, a second Greek philosophy at, at work here, and that is the, the concept of... Um, uh, Gnosticism. Right. Yeah, we've right. talked about that before. We have, yeah. And, and and that's at work here as well, because remember, Greek thought everything physical mm-hmm. is evil. Everything spirit so spiritual is the is the good. Oh right. Yeah, this totally makes sense too. Yeah. So, so now so, you've got Nestorius trying to say, how do I handle Yeah, if he's God. He, yeah, he can't, if he's hundred percent human, then he's hundred percent not good because he's yes. human is physical. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Wow. Lots of, lots of layers to this one. Right, right, right. So the Council of Chalcedon meets, and, and they, they slap Nestorius on the wrist, and they basically say, listen, that, that's heresy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, can't have, we can't have God as an actor. We can't have God, we can't have God in Jesus having two persons. Mm-hmm. No, Mary is not the uh, bearer of the Christ. It's still, she's still the God-bearer. Mm-hmm. She's, but and interestingly enough, we, this is just the start of the split, right? When we get to, when we get to uh, the actual great schism, which is between the Eastern Church and the Western Church, it's going to come down to one of the issues that it's going to come down to is, is who is Jesus, right? When it comes to Mary, mm-hmm. and is Mary the bearer of God, or is Mary the God bearer? Which I know that sounds the same, but the one, the the Latin version that she he is she's the God bearer makes it sound like she is also God because also she's born right. Whereas the Eastern Church is going to say, well, she's no, she's the bearer of God, which means that she's just a human who's had the responsibility of giving birth to Jesus, and yeah. those that's that split is going to come into effect. The other aspect of that is whether the Holy Spirit comes from God the Father and God the Son, or whether the Holy Spirit comes from just the Son. Mm. And, you know, the, the language, interpretation, 
it's tough. Is, is going to be the issue. And uh, actually, you know, in the end, the Eastern Church and the Western Church are going to say the same thing about that, but they're going to say it differently, and that's, that was enough to split. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually in the Eastern camp when it comes to Mary, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is fun, right? Right. Yeah. Right. I think they got that one right. They actually did. Yeah. 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 Even though the, you know, Protestantism comes out of the Western Church, right? <clears throat> so, yeah. so here's the problem with the Eastern Church, and that is, when the Eastern Church splits back, or splits in 1450-ish, mm-hmm. right? Um, when they split, they are willing to embrace uh, a lot of these old heresies. Mm. So when the Eastern Church splits, um, you have, you have fe- people who followed Nestorius, and they become known as Nestorian Christians, mm-hmm. and they find themselves in what we would currently call um, Iraq mm-hmm. and Iran, and to some extent, uh, northern Syria. So um, think of, in most culturally, most Kurds are uh, Muslim, mm-hmm. but within the Kurdish community, there is a strong Nestorian Christian community. Mm. Uh, some of you may remember way back to the Gulf War, and there was a uh, the minister of defense for uh, Saddam Hussein was a guy named uh, Tariq Aziz, mm-hmm. and he was actually a Nestorian Christian. Hmm. So Nestorianism still exists in many ways. It's it's actively involved in those in those areas, um, and. When the Eastern Church split from the Western Church, they absorbed the Nestorian Church. Yeah. So they didn't they didn't reject them anymore. They they welcomed them back in as one big umbrella of church. It's like this: the enemy of my enemy is my friend, kind of thing. Kind of a yeah, yeah. But what's really weird is that at this point in time, the Nestorian Church rejects the idea that that Jesus had two was two persons in one person. So so current the current Nestorian Church would. Reject Nestorius. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. right. Very interesting bounce. Well, there you go. So church history. Some of you were like, I hope this segment ends soon. Please. But others, you know, I think we're filling in some of the blanks, and that's kind of fun. So there you go. So that's Nestorianism. Yes. So if somebody ever references that, uh, what they're talking about really is this. Actually, it's kind of the. It's not the conclusion of this argument on the hypostatic union. No, not by any means. But no. it, is, it definitely is a piece of the puzzle when it comes to that conversation. Right, right. So, so some bonus words in there for you all who are listening. Uh, that's Theological Term of the Week. The Theological Term of the Week. So... Um, for the rest of the segment here, for the rest of the, for the rest of the, our time together, I think, unless we veer off into somewhere else, which who knows, that yeah. happens sometimes. Um, we want to talk a little bit about evangelism. We were chatting about yes. this in our. Uh, we had a like a class or a meeting. I'm not sure what to call it last night. Was it a class? I'm going to call it a class. All right, so we or had a, a seminar. Or yeah, a seminar. It's a good word. Like, yeah. yeah. So we had a seminar uh, um, uh, Sunday evening here at the church, talking about evangelism and. Uh, the practice of evangelism, because there's a challenge. I think for a lot of us as as believers, we really do struggle um, with how to appropriately communicate Christ to our culture. 
Um, and, and it is. It's a hurdle for a lot of believers. I think there are a lot of well-meaning people who deeply love Jesus who just get intimidated or wrapped around the axle or, uh, or feel like they don't have the right information to be able to have a conversation about Jesus with a friend. Um, and so this idea of evangelism becomes really intimidating. And yeah. so we're working through some of the uh, steps or things to consider um, when it comes to doing evangelism well. And I'm actually going to work on, we recorded that, we're going to work on doing some editing because it was in, you know, live and live studio audience. Live, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to listen through that and make sure it's listenable and we'll, we'll post that up if it is on, uh, on our um, channel. So you'll see that, you know, go to your, go to your um, podcast app of choice well, as a bonus episode, so long as that all works. Um, so you can have the content there, um, and we'll, we'll, we have, you have notes and everything for this, so we'll find ways of posting those on our church website if you're interested in following along. We're just some classic um, training on evangelism. Like this stuff that goes back years and years and years. You worked with a, you, you used a lot of content from something called Evangelism Explosion. Yes, developed by James Kennedy at yeah. Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. Yeah, a Presbyterian. Not the kind of church you'd think of doing evangelism, but they... I know, right, because yeah. they're, you know, they're Calvinists. They don't yes, do evangelism, no. do they? Um, so, yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, so that content's out there. Um, I was having a conversation um, with my wife afterward, and and she was saying you know, it'd be great if there was a 2.0 to the class where there was more um, jumping into some of the how or like what do I do in the, these situations. Like it's, an, it's one thing to have all of the information. It's another thing to be able to apply the information, right? We're looking right. for wisdom in right. evangelism, right. not just the information in evangelism. Right. And that is, a, I think that is a challenge. There are a lot of people who do need the content that we were talking about. Like, these are some scripture verses to point to, and these are some diagnostic questions to ask. Like, that's all really helpful. Um, but I think a lot of us just struggle in the moment. Like, you know, uh-oh, my coworker started talking about Jesus. And, and my pastor once said that nobody talks about Jesus unless G the Holy Spirit's doing something in this person's life. What do I do? How do I not mess this up? How do I have this conversation about right. Jesus? And right. then ultimately, I think we get into this. A lot of people get to this place where they're like, I don't know what to say. I'm just not going to say anything. Right. You miss an opportunity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we do? How, yeah. how do you handle, how do you convert like this great information into like actual practice? And what do you do? How do you, how do you, how do we handle this stuff? Yeah. Well, let's, let's do with that. Look, before I start that, let me, let me. Let me make this analogy. This okay. is kind of an unusual analogy, but I like those. Um, it, in the army, less than half of the guys that are, and gals, I guess nowadays, mm -hmm. less than half of the members of the army actually have the job of firing guns at bad guys. Yeah, I mean, think about that. That's really, really weird. Like less than half of them, because. There's, there's a whole bunch of people who have the responsibility of, of making maps, and there's a whole bunch of guys that have a responsibility of getting... Like, um, my son is in the Army. He's, he's um, active reserve, and he is, has the responsibility of making sure that... Not of actually driving the supplies out to where the Army is, but he has the responsibility of making sure that the supplies arrive to where they're supposed to be so that they can be taken there. Yeah. And there's somebody else that has to buy all of that stuff, and there's somebody else that j just repairs everything. And mm -hmm. 
when you actually get down to the number of people who are actually standing on the line, getting shot at and shooting at people, you're looking at well less than half. In fact, I think I read somewhere along the line, it's like 20%. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Or it's actually doing the frontline stuff. Mm-hmm. 80% is actually making, is working to make sure that the 20% can do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. However, the rule of thumb in the army is every man is a rifleman first. Mm-hmm. So every man... Every, every member of the armed forces has the responsibility and the capability, theoretically, of picking up a rifle and shooting it at somebody. Mm-hmm. They all have that responsibility. Every man a rifleman first. Mm-hmm. That's the rule. Now let's take, that into, let's take that into the church. I don't want to give anybody excuses here. We do that really well. So, yeah, it's okay. good, good to throw the uh, asterisk out there now. But if we're throwing that analogy on, and it, it kind of fits, there's probably about 20% of a, of a church who are really, really, really good and skilled at evangelism. Mm-hmm. They are frontline people. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the job of the rest of the church is to make sure that those frontline people have everything that they need to get into the field. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But every man an evangelist first, hmm. which means you could be called upon to put down your Sunday school lesson and pick up your evangelistic gun, if you will, and fight. Mm-hmm. Because we all have that responsibility. We all have, and and you know you see you see stories about this too, right? Like, um, uh, I, I I don't recommend the movie per se, but for example, Band of Brothers. Mm-hmm. One of the subplots in Band of Brothers is that there is one guy who gets thrown into this group of army rangers going out to look for a paratrooper. Oh, he's a typist. Or who's a, a typist. Yeah, yeah, he's he, a typist. He knew, the, he knew German, so he got dragged along. He got dragged yeah. along, right? He, has, he knows how to use a typewriter, not a rifle. And, and he, you know, there's, there's a crisis moment where the typist has to do something, mm-hmm. and he fails. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and I think a lot of us in the church find ourselves in that space. Yes. We're like, oh, I'm not good at this. And then we come, we, we're confronted face-to-face with opportunity, and, uh, and we fail. And then we kick ourselves afterward. Right. And we just, you know, we feel right. wretched and like, oh, I knew the right thing to do. I knew what I was supposed to do. I just couldn't do it in the moment. Right, right. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably feel that way. Yes. So, what, so what do we do? So first of all, understand. Here, here's the deal. Understand and recognize the people in your church who are just amazing evangelists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and make sure you know who they are. Because one of the things we talked about last night is teaming. Yeah. You know, learn how to play with the team. Yeah. So that means that if you have friends who are great at evangelizing others... Those are people you need to introduce to your non, non-believing friends, mm-hmm. just so that within the context of having a conversation, you you know he's willing to he's willing to pull the trigger mm-hmm. and pull out his Bible and talk, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, get to know those people. 
<laughs> but secondly, it's kind of like you said, it's the situational awareness and it's practice. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually getting to know people. We had this convers another aspect of this conversation. Do not think that your job as an evangelist is to um, go and go and knock on the door of your next door neighbor and then monopolize an hour and a half of their time to try and get them to making a decision for Jesus. Right. It is slow, laborious, time-consuming work to actually get somebody to a place where you can have that conversation. Yeah, especially, I mean, uh, my assumption is that the majority of people listening to our podcast are, are over the age of 18. Yeah. Right? And I think that the statistics on people who come to know Jesus after the age of 18 is, is you know, pretty small. It's yes. like less than 20% of yes. believers come to know Jesus after they turn 18. Because you, you hit that point in life and you're, you're pretty set in your ways or in your worldview. And it takes often something, either something drastic happening to you or um, a, a, a series of believers investing heavily in you for, for life change to happen. Um, whereas, you know, you know, I raise my daughters in the church and I'm, I am setting them up um, carefully for them to make sure that they're interacting with the story of Jesus from a very early age so that they're able to make that decision. Yeah, yeah. Right? So it's just very different, right? It, 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 that, it's logical that that would be the case. Right. Um, so it, it's, it has nothing to do with whether or not a child is impressionable or not. I think some people read that statistic that way, and I think that's false. Right. Um, it has everything to do with, you know, parents like me who want to make sure that their kids have the opportunity to meet Jesus, and then they do right, from an Absolutely. early age. Right? Absolutely. Not everybody has that. So, um, the uh, yeah, so it is harder for an adult to come to know Jesus, and it takes effort. Yes. And it's not something where, and, and probably, like, if somebody, if you have this story of, I just, I... I was interacting with somebody at, um, you know, I went to a restaurant with some friends and the table next to me, I heard this conversation, I couldn't help but over here. And so I leaned over and started chatting and one thing led to another and that person accepted Jesus and what a miracle it was. And, and I would say, yeah, definitely a miracle, right? Yeah. Like, that's not how that normally works. And I would be willing to wager if I were a wagering type person that there were a series of other believers who had invested in that individual before you got there, before the Holy Spirit allowed you to, to participate in the closing, so to speak. Of so that. you want to hear a crazy story? Yeah, I love those. Last night after, after our meeting, we had a couple from the church come over for coffee, mm-hmm. ice cream, and uh, we're talking about they'd been away um, on a vacation, and uh, they were talking about how they had gone to this small restaurant in New Hampshire, just... You know, restaurant may have held 30, 40 people, Mm -hmm. right? And they were having a conversation with another couple that, and it was a conversation about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And they were telling us last night that here the four of them are having this conversation about Jesus. And the entire restaurant got quiet and started paying attention to what they were talking about. Mm. And there were people from other tables who were interrupting their conversation and asking them questions. Oh, cool. And she said the, the, the waitress kept coming back and like refilling their full coffee cups. <laughs> and the owner of the restaurant came out and offered them free dessert as a means of keeping them there huh. to talk. And they, they said, you know, 
they were they had gone up for the Maple Festival. Oh yeah, yeah. So those of you who don't aren't from North New England, yeah, um, that's something. Yeah. Last last weekend in New Hampshire was the Maple Festival, and uh, yeah, they were said they it was tough because they were had eaten breakfast and then they were going to go get Maple Creamies, and they were expecting two two and a half hours between Maple Creamies, which if you're from if you're from the South, a maple creamy is soft served ice cream. So man, mm, amazing. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so they said here they were. They actually there was only there was only fifty minutes between the time that they had finished breakfast and actually got to the dairy bar to get the maple <laughs> creamies. But this whole time, like you said, what happened was people were listening to their conversations and they wouldn't let them go. Cool. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and you hear something like that, and you're like, oh, yeah. it's an amazing story because it's an amazing story because those things don't tend to happen. Especially in New England. Especially in New England, right? So, you know, God's at work there. And so yeah. um, I think, you know, the idea here, you hit on this at the very beginning of your class last night. The idea here is that we need to be people who are just conversant with, G- with about Jesus. Yeah. Like that yeah. Jesus pops up in our conversation. Yes. That's, and, that's the key. And I think that's that like it it does it all pivots on that thing and and my you know we, one of the, the challenges you were laying out yesterday in the evening but also in the service on uh, yesterday um, was that um, our people should use fellowship time to recount the good things that God has done in their life over the course of the week and that needs encouragement from the pulpit because it's not what we naturally do unfortunately I think we tend to talk about other things right. Um, we- our worship services have become exceptionally uh, programmed. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I understand that, and I, I'm a participant in making that happen. I, I don't like dead air. Mm-hmm. I don't like the, the, the possibility of having to, you know, I, I'm one of, we do something here that maybe some others find harsh. I, I have my worship team come up while I'm praying, for example, at the end of the sermon, because I don't want us to wait 30 seconds for them all to get up there and get their music arranged. And I want them there. Boom. I, d- I don't like that dead air thing because yeah. it just makes the service drag and uncomfortable. But in programming that, we, we don't like dead air. We, d- we don't like silence. No. We, no. Don't, we don't like that. Silence, silence loses people because we don't enjoy and, and, and relish it and thrive on it. Um, and, and, and so we, we, We've become very production oriented, and because we've become very production oriented, the interactive part of being a believer is a responsive reading once in a while, uh, singing hymns, um, giving, but it's never the sharing of your story. Mm-hmm. And I think that early church up through, say, 2000, 1990, um, the concept was. I'm going to church because I'm going to hear God's word and I'm going to sing, but I'm also going to share my story. Mm-hmm. And it used to be when I was a kid, if you came to church and you were not prepared, as in you had not reviewed your week and looked for all of the things that God had done in your life so that you could share them, man, it, it, could, be, it could be a very embarrassing situation. Huh. Yeah, I, I think I remember 
my memory of that is more along again, like I, maybe it's that shift toward a program thing. Like there was a specific space for that, right? Like yes. the Wednesday yeah. night prayer meeting often was a spot where you would have people sharing testimonies or, or talking about, you know, there was these praises, right? Like you would have things you were praying for, but you would also list things that were, um, you know, a praise that you had seen God do. And you were doing that in public, right? The prayer requests and the praises were happening as a huge portion of the prayer meeting conversation, right? There'd be a little, a couple songs, a devotional. And then as a child, what felt like this eternity that got dragged out forever with people talking and issuing the same prayer request every week. And, you know, that one person who would monopolize the microphone and talk longer than the pastor had talked yeah. about, like, you know, those were just, that was part of church culture. And in the, in the church that I served in early on, they would do that sort of thing once a month around communion where there would be these, um, you know, this sharing time. And in all of the staff meetings the day after that, that, um, that week of the month, you would have the staff sitting around puzzling how to keep the microphone away from that one guy yeah, yeah, who yeah. would just dominate the whole thing and would talk for 20 minutes um, about nothing, really. Uh, but he had a microphone, and so he was empowered. And so yes. they, they, there's always this strategy. This is in, this is definitely inside baseball stuff, like pastoral staff stuff, yes. right? Really, yeah. this isn't actually encouraging the church. This isn't actually helping. What do we do? Um, and I think with all of that, with all of that discomfort and all those wrinkles, like we've actually ironed out something pro- that's probably really good, right? Like we've ironed out that like practice of us talking about Jesus in our lives. Um, as part of the weekend environment. Now, I think one of the responses to that is in the development of small groups that you've seen in the last 20 or 30 years. Absolutely. And, and that Absolutely is perfect. really where that environment should thrive. And if you're not in a small group that, that, and you're missing, like talking about Jesus with your Christian friends, um, that's, you know, the small group is the response to that, where you're gathering with a smaller group of people to share what God is doing in your life. Um, so there's a plug for that. You should jump into one of those. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But I think that one of the other things of that is that, yeah, when we get together, we're not necessarily having those conversations. So if we're not comfortable having conversations about Jesus with our Christian friends, how do we expect to be comfortable talking about Jesus with our non-Christian friends? Absolutely. It cuts it completely out of your day-to-day life because now, now you're unpracticed. Now you haven't developed that skill um, and so you have a con- you have a conversation, and somebody drops some some grade A baseball right down the middle of the plate, four seam fastball, and you just you you're just paralyzed by it and watch it go by. Yeah. And uh, and and that just that's just awful. Yeah, yeah. It's just awful. And so I think like encouragement number one, it, I, you know, people asking about this. Um, <clears throat> I feel like a like an Instagram influencer. A lot of people have asking me, um, but yeah, no, some people yeah, have asked me how to question. do this. Yeah, yeah we did. How yeah. do you handle? Like, how do I talk about Jesus with my non-Christian friends? It feels forced, or every time this situation, I'm not sure how to handle it. I think my, you know, especially for those of you who are listening to this, who have grown up in this environment, and you know the content, like you had the Romans Road memorized when you were six, and you, you know, and you. You even know the four spiritual laws. Like you mm. can go, like you've got all of that. Like you've got the gospel train thing at some point, and you know all of those things. You've you've heard all the seminars, you've heard all the talks. You know the evangelism explosion. If you were to die tonight, and God asked you why should I let you into my heaven, what would your response to be? You know those things. 
um, but you freeze in the moment, I think my first um, encouragement to you is to um, be more intentional about sharing what God is doing in your life with your Christian friends. Yes. Get to a point where like this is a piece of your regular conversation. Like, and for some of you, like you have these great memories of deep spiritual conversations with friends that maybe like maybe the reason you're friends with some of the friends that you have came from deep spiritual conversations. You're like, oh, I loved that moment. But we don't practice that moment per se. So here's the place. See, a small group, which is just something you've mentioned, church lobby. Mm -hmm. So come to church early yeah, and stay. Hang out a little a bit few minutes afterwards. afterwards right? yeah. We got out of that practice during COVID. We were we keeping did. people out of building. Absolutely. And it's back now. It's like, back. Hang out in the building. It's cool. Yep. So, so have conversations there. And, and then now our church does a fellowship time. We used to have two worship services pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, we've cut back to one. We're probably going to be one for a while. But what we did was our Sunday school ends at 10 o'clock. Our church service starts at 1030. We have a time for coffee and donuts. Mm -hmm. And more than the coffee and the donuts, the purpose of that half hour is to talk with people, to greet people, to make connections with people, but to share God's stories also with mm -hmm. people. Yeah. Uh, to focus your attention on what has God done, God done in your life this week. So uh, you, you can leave all of the other stuff that the world has behind. I, I mentioned this again yesterday in, in Sunday morning. There's so many distracting things. Yeah. So many conversations we want to have with somebody and, and they're about so many things that are really, really meaningless mm -hmm. uh, compared to Jesus. Yeah. And, and it's, it's important for us to have that, take that time and just, you know, here's what God did for me this week and, and come and share it. And, and what that does is it gives, gives you a couple of things. It gives you that practice of sharing a God story with somebody and that practice helps develop you is so that when another situation... First of all, let's, let's go back before the practice. Mm -hmm. It makes you look. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Like, I think if we could... One of the things that I do as a, as a discipline is, I, you know, Saturday evening, you know, after I, you know, I've gotten through that space of being like, oh, goodness, it's Saturday evening. I have church tomorrow. I have so much I have to do. Like, as a pastor, like, I go through that a lot. Um, I'll, I'll pray with my kids and I put them to bed and I'll pray with my wife when we go to bed and we will, we will pray intentionally about the service the next morning and about our time in gathering with the congregation. And we're praying, we're always praying for prepared hearts, right? Mm -hmm. That process for us as a family begins the day before we go to church. It's, it's not like Sunday morning, like the rush as a, you know, as a young family on Sunday mornings is hard and it's often, you know, we joke about it. It, it, it. It's become a joke, right? Of how, just how stressful Sunday mornings can be getting the kids dressed and packed into the minivan and on their way to church and time to be there for Sunday school and wearing matching clothes without like chocolate milk spilled all over. Like we know all this, right? So with all of that stress to be also be prepared to be in a worshipful place and ready to receive the word and to be in God's presence and be in the presence of other believers, we come in so distracted that we'd miss all of that. And so for us as a family, like the discipline begins the day before. Right. The right. evening before. Um, and so like, you know, maybe that's a thing to integrate as your family. Like, hey, it's, 
it's Saturday night dinner. Like tomorrow is church. Um, we're going to be around friends. Uh, you know what? You know maybe as a family, like rehearse. What have we noticed this week that we've seen God do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. Like, you know, could you share is that a story? Who would you share that story with tomorrow? Like, ask your kids, right? Like, this is, I love doing that kind of thing with my girls. Like, that's an amazing story. Who would you tell that to? Like, what, what do you think their reaction would be? Like, you know, to just get them start to think that, to start to think about ooh, how do I like talk about Jesus with yeah. others? Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, it's something that like we'll talk about when we, when we pray together. And it's something that, you know, think we should do a little bit more of even my own family i would love to do a little bit more of that like application part like the actually filtering what my week was like and how do i talk about this with others but if we can get in that mode like where we're creating that as a weekly discipline where we're preparing to talk about jesus with our believing friends i'm willing you know i would guess that that kind of discipline would start to spill over, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. It surely does. So yeah. let's let's hit a couple of things. I, I know that I know that one of the conversations was what do I do in very specific circumstances? Yeah. And the correct answer to that, quite honestly, is I don't know. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, I don't know your friend. I don't know your friend. Yeah. You're the one who has spent the time getting to know your friend. Yeah. So you know if you can you know it is possible in evangelization, to respond to somebody sarcastically. <laughs> yeah. You know, just as if you know that they accept sarcasm well, go ahead and re- respond sarcastically. It, it will draw them into the conversation. Yeah. If you know, you know your culture, you know, you know the people who are in your culture. Here, here's the thing that I see. And number one is, like we've, we've spent a lot of time, get some practice. Practice having, actually having conversations. Uh, but this... The thing that that does, not just gives you some skill, but it it also helps you to think on your feet. Mm -hmm. All right? The second thing is don't be afraid of failing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I grew up in this video, the video arcade culture. Mm -hmm. Like I was, I was before Atari. ColecoVision? Uh, it, I was before the home versions, right? Yeah. Uh, and a home version of our own game, you know? Yeah. Um, I was before the home version, so... I just when, started walking, watching a documentary on this. It's pretty fun. When, when I... My, my game was a game called Defender, mm-hmm. which was, you know, a horrible line drawing, but it was lots of fun. Um, and here... So, but to get good at Defender... You had to drop a lot of quarters, mm-hmm. and the first quarter, the first quarter was meaningless. You were paying twenty five cents to die in seconds mm-hmm. because you had no idea how the game was actually played. I mean, they would show you a little thing, but you had to actually take the joystick in hand, drop the quarter in, and then figure out. Oh, I can turn left. I can turn right. By the time you actually figured out how you actually operated the joystick. You'd already died. You already died three times, and you were done. Yeah. Right? So then, then, you know, you're $5 into the game before you actually figured out where you were going to go and what you were going to do and how you... I I, I think you were 5 bucks into the game before you broke level one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Right. Eventually, you get to this point when you're playing Defender, back in the day when it was an arcade moment, right? Where you had dropped a quarter into the machine and you'd played the game for a half an hour. On one quarter. On one quarter. Right. And you were tired of it and you walked away from the game and somebody else would quickly grab the joystick and play out the rest of your game. So they could put their three initials on the leaderboard? Bam! Yeah. Right? Because you were tired of the game. You you developed the skills. So here's the deal. I, we're afraid of actually having these conversations with people because we're afraid of failing. Mm-hmm. We're afraid of their reactions. And I get it. We live, and um, I'll get that in a second, but we're afraid of failing. Like, what if I fail here and this person goes to hell? Leave that alone. God will take care of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just fail. Okay? Think, think of them as your first quarter. Yeah. Right. Eventually, if you've been willing to fail enough, you will you will get so good at this game that it'll get well, it'll never get boring. Believe me. But no. yeah. yeah. But you get to this point where you're able. It'll seem like you're great at thinking on your feet, but really these are just interactions you've had before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know? And the Holy Spirit yeah. uses that all of that um, learning to aid in your growth and in your ability and your skill. Right. Yeah. You, yeah. I think. Th- the assumption is that people are just born great. Right. And, and I, I don't necessarily think that's the, the truth. There are some people who maybe have uh, um, a better predisposition towards something. Yes. Like I, I, I think I'm a person who's good at thinking on their feet, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a brilliant evangelist because, you know, all, all, you know, that I was when I was like six years old. Like that's just something that takes practice. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about, you know, you're talking about, the uh, knowing the right, you're, you know, I don't know how to advise you on how to share Jesus with your friend because I don't know your friend. Um, uh, years ago, I worked, we both did this, actually. We worked with an organization called Walk Through the Bible, and we would, you know, you would teach the Old Testament or the New Testament to us in a seminar throughout the day, right? And um, that organization is still out there. If you ever get a phone call from them, they're, they're real, they're legit, they're and they will awesome. change your congregation's yep. life when it comes to, like, understanding Scripture. It's worth, it's worth it. Um, but one of the things that you would, I would do as an instructor is I would have these different like moments where I would pause from telling the big story of the old Testament or the new Testament and hone in on one like teachable moment. And and I had that, I had like a pocket full of these and it just kind of depended on like the, the mood of the crowd and where they needed a mental break or where something, you know, where I felt like God was leading in the conversation. And one of the ones that I would often do is where I would talk about Moses and the burning bush and this whole interaction that Moses has with God. Because, I mean, in a sense, it's hilarious, but it's also, it's us, right? Like, God says, hey, Moses, I have a job for you. And Moses is like, I can't do it. You know, well... Let me give you the job first. The job first, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, God, I can't. I can't speak. I stutter. Okay. Well, I got your, your brother will handle that. Well, God, I can't. You know. You know. How will they know that I'm from you? Like, stick your hand in your coat. Like you got like leprosy. Congratulations. And you know, put it back. It's away now. Like I'm going to give you all of these things. We're going to equip you. And he goes through this whole. There's this whole argument between Moses and God. Like we think of this. I don't know if we picture Charlton Heston, you know, and like this holy moment where angels are singing. But I always picture this as an argument, like it's like a child, like, you know, 
the the parent has told their child what to do, or the child is arguing their way out of doing the thing that they're supposed to do. And it, that's the relationship here. That's the interaction. But ultimately, like God just finishes the argument with saying, Moses, you are the man. You are the man. You're the one. You go do it. And, and I would take that conversation and I'd say, like, hey, I'm not the guy to come into your workplace and tell your coworkers about Jesus. Right, right. I'm not the guy. I don't know them. Right. I, I, you know, I had somebody in a former church who, like, you know, was having a conversation about Jesus with a, a guest who had come to church that day, and they brought them to my office and introduced them to me. And, um, and then I introduced myself back, welcomed them, asked them their name, you know, tried to get some information about them, just tried to make them feel welcome in the moment, and thanked them for being a part of the church service. I look forward to seeing them again next week. They smiled, they left, and the person just stared at me like, you were supposed to lead them to Jesus. I didn't, is there some secret code I was supposed to know? Like, right, right. I, you were the one who, who taught, had this whole, like, you knew the person. You, you actually knew them before they came. You didn't communicate to me that that was what your expectation was. <laughs> How was I supposed to know? I don't read minds. Right, and then, right. They're your friend. Like, if you want to give me some heads up, like, hey, my friend is coming to church this weekend. They're seeking Jesus. These are the conversations we've had. Can I introduce them to you? That's awesome. I'm in. I'm, I'm going to be your wingman. We'll make this work. Um, but ultimately, like, that person was far better equipped to share Jesus. Totally, completely. Because they yep. knew him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, like, for a lot of you listening, and you're like, I don't know how to share Jesus with this person. I don't know, like, I'm intimidated by the moment. Like, uh, you know, these conversations come up, and I'm not sure how to close them out. Uh, I think God's like, I put you there. You're the person. You're their person. Try it and see what happens. And yeah. here's the thing yeah. with Moses and the thing with you. None of, like, the acts of Moses that happened before Pharaoh are because of Moses and Aaron. No, that's right. Not a single one. They're right? all God. It's all God. All God. Every, every, every bit of that is God working through Moses and Aaron. It's not their brilliance. It's not their exceptional leadership. You see that throughout the rest of like Leviticus and Numbers. They're not great leaders. This no. is all God. And can, and can you see them walking out of in front of Pharaoh? It's like the, the waters are, are starting to bleed, and yeah. they're just like, wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Did you, can you believe that? Did, yeah. <laughs> did yeah. I do that? Yeah, <laughs> totally. They didn't do that. And, <clears throat> and you're not doing that either. No. Like when, when the opportunity arises to share Jesus with a friend, share Jesus with your friend. And if the conversation goes nowhere, okay. It's so, another quarter in the machine. So the first time I shared Jesus with a friend was... This was like I was 16 years old. It was one of the most amazing moments in my life because I spent probably a good 15, 20 minutes sharing the scripture and sharing how a person gets saved um, and walked away from that after the 15 minutes. person didn't get saved, mm-hmm. you know, not, not by any means, but walked away from that and saying to myself, did I do that? Yeah. Like I was totally shocked. Yeah. But here's the thing. I did it. Yeah. Totally shocked that it happened. And, uh, and it, it, was, it was God making it happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so here's, another, here's another thing that I think is a fear. I've alluded to it, but I, I just want to touch on it again. 
Currently in our culture, we have, we have most, the most intolerant culture that I have, think we have ever seen in our world. I mean, and I'm equating that, you know, with a historic time when uh, they would burn, burn, burn people Christians at the stake, at yeah. the stake for talking about Christ. And yeah. I think we, we're in a similar state. I mean, you can get kicked off of YouTube for, ta- for telling the truth about God. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can lose friends. Mm-hmm. You seriously can lose friends. We, we've had, you know, we've had people walk away from Marsh Corner Church because we take a stand on what Scripture says, mm-hmm. and um, we're, we're not living in a culture that is very tolerant. I can understand your reticence to speak of Christ because people are going to are going to walk away from you. Have you tried that? I mean, I realize that their friendship is strong and important and significant in your life. But do you, are they really going to walk away from you because you share Christ with them? Or are you just afraid of it? Yeah. And, and I, I think that we should be willing to lose friends for the sake of gaining friends. Yeah. And this is not, you know, I, some of you hear that idea of losing friends. You're like... You know, you're going to go out and be like this caustic jerk now. For Please Jesus. don't do that. That's not the idea, right? Like this is, you're, you are extending yourself. You're, you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position to talk about Jesus with a friend and you may lose them. Yeah. And yeah. I think for a lot of us, like the friendship is more viable than the cross and man, you're going to lose your friend, right? Like the, ultimately you will lose your friend um, if they don't know Jesus. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so you know, we should be reaching out here and saying like, this is so important. I'm willing to risk because of how important this is. And that might be a leading conversation with this friend. They listen. I understand that. I understand your background with church. I understand because we've had those conversations. I understand what you think about Christians. And even though like we're friends and you know, I'm a Christian, like I know that like what I'm about to tell you could be the kind of thing that makes you uncomfortable around me to the point where you're not sure you want to be my friend anymore. But I want you to know that I think this is so incredibly important that if I didn't share it with you, I wouldn't be a good friend. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is the greatest lead-in ever. Yeah. And so please know that I'm not a jerk and I'm not crazy, but I, honest, I honestly believe that this is, so, this is so life-changing that I wouldn't be a good friend if I didn't share it with you. Right. And you can take it wherever you want. Right. And what if, so here's another one. What if my friend asks me about some hobby horse issue? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. What do Christians believe about politics? Yeah. Or, you know, what about, what about homosexuality? Or what about, what about abortion? Or what about, uh, what about um, women in the military? Or um, what about women pastors? Or mm-hmm. you know, fill in your issue here. Yeah. It's right? Lots of them. So interestingly enough, I, I had a, professor in, uh, in seminary um, who had been an astrophysicist. He was a he, doctor of astrophysics. He, um, he went to Cornell University. He, um, he studied under Carl Sagan. He, he was brilliant. Hmm. And he had a conversation with another, um, another astrophysicist 
and the question was about Christ, and he's dealing with this, this other man about what it means to know Jesus as his Savior. And the guy says, well, how can I, how can I believe in Jesus if I don't... The, the, first, the first, ten book, first ten chapters of the Bible is just, it's just, it's just craziness. It's, yeah, it's impossible. It's impossible, right? And, and this man said to him, Leave that argument aside and deal with Jesus. God will take care of the rest of that. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Jesus? Focus, he focused the man in on Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know what's impressive is that man got saved. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't, I, I would say, you know, knowing the, that individual later, um, he, he didn't come to a conclusion about the first 10 chapters of Genesis that was satisfactory to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that within the broad umbrella of Christianity, it's it's fine. Yeah, that's um, a good point. I mean, Ken Ham would probably burn him at the stake. But sometimes, th- like we get so wrapped up <clears throat> around like particular theological things that we miss the point, right? Like, yeah, you know, and you know, well, my friend, my friend is like an exceptionally you know, liberal Democrat, or my friend is an exceptionally conservative Republican. How can I talk to them about Christianity because they have so much wrapped up? politically in this conversation. And that's the thing. It's like you don't have to win them to your to your the, your full array of theological beliefs. You have to win them to Jesus. Right. 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 Let the other beliefs come later. That's discipleship. Right? Yes. Like that's the those are the conversations that come with time. Like hey, like I understand where you are right now like that you struggle with Christians viewpoint on whatever. I get that. But ultimately, like, Jesus, if we can agree on Jesus, then all of those other things are conversations that we can have. But you don't have to have, you know, this is, you say to your friend, we don't have to be, we don't actually have to agree on all of those things to still love Jesus. Right. To right. still know Jesus. Right. What do you think about Jesus? Right. All of that can be taken care of with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I don't have to win you over to my viewpoint. I don't have to win you over to my politics. I don't have to win you over... I'd have to win you over to my view of science. All I had to do is win you over to Jesus. Yep. And then, as I disciple, as you're discipled, you're going to make determinations on all of those things based on Scripture. Yeah. And what the Bible says. Right. And a common now a common belief in Jesus. Yes. Right. Yes. Absolutely. So, and then you know you're then yeah that process comes later. Don't get so focused on having the right answers for all of those questions that you can't talk to somebody about the saving work of Jesus Christ for them. Right, right. Um, one last thought, you know, as we're running kind of low on time. I, uh, I was on a mission trip in high school, and uh, it was in Northern Ireland, and the, uh, the missionary we were working with had this statement that has stuck out with me forever, and it stuck out with me forever because it took me a while to figure out what he was saying. It might have been the Irish accent, but it's still. Yeah. Like, the guy had gone through a lot in his ministry. He talked about the like, different times in, in his life, anyway, as a Protestant in a Catholic country, um, how he had been like he had had you know bricks chucked at him as he would share Jesus and you know he had all these great stories that you would want to hear right as a high school kid talking to somebody who has served Christ. Um, but his response to us as he was preparing us to go speak about Jesus um, in a public environment was, "Don't worry about people who respond angrily to the cross. Like if you're talking about Jesus." 
don't worry about people who are angry or who who speak up and who um, say things that are cruel or, or, or whatever. Like, don't worry about that. He said, because if you have a pack of dogs and you throw a stick into the middle of the pack of dogs, the dog that yelps the loudest is the one that you hit. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So what he was saying was, again, it took me a second to kind of come around to that. What he's saying is sometimes the people who react most violently to the cross are the ones who are closest to it. Yes. And in the process of your sharing Jesus, maybe the reaction that you're most afraid of is the reaction of somebody who's right on the doorstep of coming to know Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's worth getting out there and trying. Put the quarter in the machine, see what happens. Yes. And, and practice this. You don't need to have all of the answers to get this right. Right. Because Absolutely. it's not on you, it's on Jesus. Right. If you're having the relation, if you're building those friendships with non-believers and you're talking about Jesus on a regular basis, watch him work. And when the opportunity comes up, walk forward in it and see what happens. And then come back and tell the story at fellowship time on church at church on Sunday. Yeah. We'll celebrate yeah. it with you. Yeah. Hey, friends, thanks for joining us. We hope you had a uh, you have a good week. We'll see you back here next time. Bye everyone. You have been listening to Inside the Pastor Study Podcast with Pastors George and Jeremy Stevens. Artwork by Caitlin Gallagher, music by San Demetrius, and engineering help from Ashley Gallagher. To find out more about us, head to marshcorner.com.